Hi and welcome to the St Saviour's Finsbury Park podcast. Our vision is to be a church alive in God's love to serve the city. And we hope this teaching helps you to know God and serve him more wherever you've been uniquely placed. Let's jump in. Thank you, Lewis. Hello. We're in a new teaching series, uh, which we began last week. It's going to run for six weeks, five weeks from now. And the name of the series is The Gift of Faith in Challenging Times. And we're looking at the life and the story of this man, Abraham, the father of all the great world religions, whether you're Islamic or Jewish or Christian, all those stories trace their story uh, back to Abraham. So you cannot understand world civilization without understanding this man's story. Paul in the New Testament, when he's writing to a community in Galatia, in Galatians 3, describes Abraham as the man of faith. Uh, So that's why we're looking at Abraham, because we want to raise faith in our community and we want to receive the gift of faith in challenging times. Uh, We said this is a scheme for the life of Abraham. God says to Abraham, get out. Get out from where you are and go. Abraham says, where? God says, I'll show you later, just go. And then later God says to Abraham, I'll give you a son. And Abraham says, how? And God says, I'll show you later, just trust. And then finally God says, go to the top of a mountain and put your son to death. And Abraham says, why? And God says, I'll show you later, just climb. That's Christian faith, right there. Abraham is the man of faith, and we want to spend time in his story, time getting to know this man better, and as we do, ask that the Holy Spirit would teach us something about what it means to have faith in this uncertain time that we're living through. So week one, last week, was called Abraham and the Call. We looked at Genesis 12, and the title of that uh, talk was The Power of God's Call. Today we're looking at Abraham and the Land, that's Genesis 13, and the title of today's talk is The Power of God's Presence. Next week we're looking at a crisis in Genesis 14, uh, and the title of that talk is The Power of God's Self-Sufficiency. Week after that, week four, we're looking at Genesis 15, uh, and the title of that talk is The Power of God's Grace. Uh, The week after that, week five, we're in Genesis 18, 1 to 15, and we're looking at the power of God's word. And then in week six, we're just going to sum it up and we'll work out what to say in that week. Last week, just by way of catch up, we looked at Genesis 12, as I've said, and the title of that talk was Abraham and the Call, or the power of God's call. We said three things that that passage, Genesis 12, uh, taught us. Number one, that God's call is powerful because Uh, it comes from God to us. The call of God, if you are a Christian, does not come from within. We do not find light within. That's punchy, don't shoot the messenger, but the gospel is that God comes to us from without and he speaks to us from within himself and that's the blessing of the Christian message. So it's powerful because it comes from God. Secondly, God's call is disorientating because it reorientates our life around God and gosh, there's a lot for us to be reorientated around. 
That's why the New Testament takes the language of pilgrimage, this dissonant experience of journeying towards a future home, never quite arriving and always feeling like an alien at home and a foreigner at home. That's the experience of the Christian life. It's disorientating. And thirdly, God's call saves us because it leads us to Jesus who alone can fulfill God's call. This week, Genesis 13, which we just heard read by Lewis, uh, is called Abraham in the Land. The title is The Power of God's Presence. And I want to make three short points over the next 20 minutes or so. Firstly, this passage teaches us that God's presence is generative or life-giving because God alone creates it. Secondly, God's presence is liberating because God's presence fills the whole earth with the glory of God so that there is nowhere that isn't pregnant with the life of God and that everywhere holds the potential to be a place of blessing. So God's presence is liberating because there's nowhere we can go that isn't pregnant with the life of God. And thirdly, God's presence leads us to Jesus because Jesus is the place where God's presence dwells. God's presence is generative or life-giving because God alone creates it. God's presence is liberating because there's nowhere you can go or I can go that isn't pregnant with the life of God. And God's presence leads us to Jesus because he is the place of God's, where God's presence dwells. So I'm just going to pray as we go. Holy Spirit, we're going after faith in this season. And I pray that as I offer some fairly basic, possibly even mundane points about Genesis 13, you would breathe on them and you would stir our hearts. Teach us what you want to teach us this morning from this incredible man's life. That we would receive the gift of faith in these challenging times as a beacon, as a light, as a guide, and as a power in our lives. And as we explore the nature of God's presence today, that it's life-giving, it's liberating, and it leads us to Jesus, I pray that Christ would become Lord in our hearts and this church would be shaped in his image and his likeness. And all the people said, Amen. So firstly, God's presence is generative or life-giving because God alone creates it. If you read the passage, you'll see that Abraham and his cousin Lot are incredibly blessed. Verse 6, they had so many possessions, we're told, that they couldn't stay together in the same piece of land. Verse 5 defines what they mean by possessions, flocks, herds, tents. In verse 2, we're told that Abraham had so much livestock, so much silver, so much gold that he could barely contain it in the land. So basically, we reach this point at the beginning of Genesis 13 where Abraham and his cousin Lot cannot dwell on the same piece of land because they have been so richly, materially blessed. They have so much. How? If you've been reading Genesis 12 or even back into Genesis 18, or even if you've been reading carefully from the beginning of the story in Genesis 1, the question is, how? How has Abraham and Lot reached a point of such abundant blessing in their circumstances? Because their circumstances and their context are hostile. Number one, they are in hostile territory. They are not at home. They are in Canaan. Genesis 12, 5 tells us that. Before that, sorry, they begin in Canaan. Abraham begins in Canaan at the beginning of Genesis 12.5. He then moves into Egypt in Genesis 12.10. And then he comes back from Egypt at the beginning of the passage this morning in 13.1 uh, into Canaan. In other words, it's not Haran. Haran is Abraham's hometown. That's his place of belonging. 
And we said last week that Haran was the place where Abraham's family settled. In 1131, that's Genesis 11:31. that's what we're told. Haran is a place of comfort, social standing, secure identity and community, and political and spiritual influence and affluence. But we're told that Abraham's family traces its lineage back to a man called Seth. And if you're reading carefully in Genesis 4, you'll recognize that as all the world is falling apart after the fall, as Adam and Eve decide to take their hands out of God's hand, hop on the good foot, do the bad thing, lead life their way, they realize that all of creation unravels, death and sin reign. But there's a ray of hope in this world of heresy, violence, and death. He's a man called Seth. And we're told at the end of chapter 4, if you want to read it, you can look it up, 426, Seth and his line started to call on the name of the Lord. So in the midst of a world of darkness, heresy, ill-thinking, lies, deception, and death, there's this family line that traces its way through Seth, where alone the light of truth, the living Lord, is being clung onto. And Abraham and his father Terah are of Seth's line. But by the time we meet Abraham in chapter 11, we're told that Terah, whose name means moon worshipper, and Ur, where they are passing through, is a site of moon worship, have completely given up on the name of the Lord. And they are now worshipping the sun, the moon, and the stars. Fill in the blanks. I have no idea what that means. But they're basically part now of the pagan darkness which surrounds them, no longer carrying the light of God. However, they are comfortable. We're told that God has called Abraham's father, Terah, and his family to go to Canaan. But they stopped in Haran. Why? Because Haran's comfortable. They are affluent. They are influential. They are comfortable. Life is all good, thank you very much. And so when we're told that Abraham has been richly blessed in Canaan or Egypt, he has so many flocks, herds, sheep, silver, gold, livestock that he can no longer sustain the same piece of land as Lot. We should be asking why. He's not at home, he's in a hostile territory. It's extraordinary. The second reason is that Abraham is a really ordinary man. It's tempting when we come to these great patriarchs of faith or these great kind of cultural icons, and Abraham certainly is one of them in world civilization, to think of them as great people. Abraham is not great in the ordinary sense. He's incredibly down to earth. He's kind of like you and he's kind of like me. He's actually quite a modern figure because he's prone to (laughs) getting things horribly, horribly wrong. He's pagan like his family when we meet him in chapter 11. Yes, God calls him at the beginning of chapter 12, but when we meet him, he's a pagan. He is not worshipping God. As I've said, he's worshipping the sun, moon, and stars. After the call in 1213, if you read to the end of chapter 12, which we didn't read last week, um, he ends up in Egypt, and he's so intimidated by Pharaoh that he thinks, how can I bring Pharaoh on side? So he tells his wife Sarah to pretend that she is not his wife but his sister and Pharaoh then takes Sarah his wife into his palace and treats her as one of his concubines that's just after this profound moment where God calls Abraham by name he knows God's voice and he's behaving like a pagan he's flawed and then later in the story you'll know this Abraham lacks faith He's the father of faith, but he also lacks faith. We know this because when God says, I'm going to give you a son later in the story, his reaction is to laugh. In other words, not to believe God, to think, I'm old, my wife's barren. How could that possibly happen? So the irony is, here is a very ordinary man who in some ways lacks a bit of faith, but is being called by God into God's covenant purposes and grace and into the power of his presence. And he's blessed. 
So the answer to how are Abraham and Lot in a position of abundance and blessing and generativity isn't that Abraham and Lot have made some good decisions. The answer is God's presence is with them. God is with them. God is calling them. God's word is powerful and he is surrounding them in his presence. And the answer to that is that in Christianity, we don't believe there are many creators. We only believe there is one creator and his name is the Lord and he identifies himself as Father, Son and Holy Spirit. In the very first words of the Bible back in Genesis 1 verse 1, we're told that in the beginning God created, God made the heavens and the earth. In other words, he's the one in whom and out of whom and through whom new things are able to be made. God in and of himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is utterly self-sufficient and dynamic and filled with life. There is no other place in the world where life flows. If you're a Christian, we do not believe that life can be created, that creativity can be generated anywhere apart from the Lord. But in his presence, amazing things can happen. And in Genesis chapter 12, verse 2, which we looked at last week, the Lord says to Abraham, I will bless you and I will make you into a great nation. What's the point? In the story in Genesis 13 that we just read, we do not see a God who is looking for a beautiful, perfect place before he can bless Abraham. Abraham is in hostile territory and Abraham is an ordinary man. And yet he's been incredibly blessed. God's presence itself is the place of generativity and life, not the physical place. Presence trumps place. In fact, God demonstrates this by leading Abraham away from a place of relative abundance. We've just spoken about Haran. Haran is a place of relative abundance and comfort and security where Abraham is known and he has prestige and social standing and political influence and spiritual influence. But the Lord has led him away from that place into what you might describe as a place of scarcity. Canaan, Egypt, a place that we might describe represents no place, a liminal space between places for Abraham, disorientated, uprooted, kind of migratory. And in that place, the Lord is, is, is demonstrating to Abraham that sheer dependence on his presence creates abundant life. What does it look like for you to lean on God's presence and trust in God's presence more than the place you find yourself in. And that could be either you find yourself in a place of scarcity, life may be falling apart a bit, maybe you're scared, anxious, there's all sorts of infinite reasons why we find ourselves, quote unquote, in a place of scarcity, you fill in the blanks. Or it could be a place of abundance. Life is going very well, thank you. I'm incredibly happy. Life, I'm winning at life, is what people say. I'm winning at life. It could be you as well. Both in the Christian walk are equally dangerous. Scarcity, the danger of scarcity and temptation of scarcity, and it's understandable, is to lead to despair. The danger of abundance is to lead to self-satisfaction and pride and independence. And they're both equally deadly. Actually, if you read the Gospels, it's probably the place of abundance that's more dangerous than the place of scarcity because we like to think that we've created all this wonderful stuff in our lives. So let me just pray at the end of that. Lord, I, I thank you that your presence trumps place. I thank you that we, when we meet Abraham in Genesis chapter 13, 
He is, he is so blessed. And yet the text makes it completely clear that there's nothing in and of himself and nothing in his place that has contributed to that blessing. Only your sheer presence, your grace and your living word. That is amazing. I pray we'd get hold of that as a community and we'd begin to get hungrier for your presence than necessarily the security of our places or our identity in our places or our social standing or our influence. I ask that you'd humble us and make us to be a community that is hungry for your presence because where your presence is, Abundance flows. Amen. Second point, God's presence isn't just generative, which it is, but God's presence is liberating because God's presence fills the whole earth with the glory of God. Therefore, there is nowhere that isn't pregnant with the life of God and everywhere holds the potential to be a place of blessing. In Genesis 13, what we've just read is an extraordinary moment. It is amazing. So they get to this point, Abraham and Lot, and they can't dwell on the same land because they've got so many goats. It's incredible. Read for goats, money, you know, wealth, influence, a business that's thriving. You know, life is going unbelievably well for these two. And they get to the point and they say, something needs to shift because our herdsmen, people who are looking after it, are starting to quarrel with each other over the best land. If you read the text, this is amazing. What does Abraham do? You would expect him to take the best piece of land for himself. But there's precisely the opposite of what he does. He says to Lot, over there is a land so fruitful that it's like the plain of Jordan. Even more than that, it's like the garden of the Lord. That's what the text says. It is like the garden of the Lord. In other words, it's like, like we're running out of language. It's like Eden. Like it, things just thrive in that land. It's well watered. It's fertile. The soil's good. It's secure and it's safe. That's over there. Over here, absolute scarcity. Canaan, barren, dangerous and open. And you'd expect Abraham to say, Lot, you head off over there and I'll see you in a few years' time because I'm going to Eden. But he says this, Lot, you choose. You choose. Which way would you like to go? Which piece of land would you prefer? Now, I've been a bit down on Abraham because he's an ordinary man. He makes some big mistakes. But in this moment, he is demonstrating unbelievable faith, like he's learning to trust the God who's called him. He's learning that God's presence trumps place. He's learning that if it's a choice between Eden without God or the barren land with God, it's always going to be the barren land with God. Whereas most of us, if we're honest, operate in completely the opposite way. If it's a choice between this amazing piece of land where I'm winning at life and people think I'm great and my job's brilliant and relationship, that, but I, but I lose my faith and Jesus isn't Lord of my life, I kind of take that if I'm honest. But if it's a choice between being disorientated in my faith, being led out from myself into an uncertain place, not sure of where I'm going, not sure of what's going to happen, but the Lord is with me, I'm not sure about that. Abraham in this minute, in this moment, absolutely nails it. He nails it. And we need to respect this moment because it's phenomenal. He says to Lot, you choose. And Lot, obviously, being a human being, like you or I, chooses the place like Eden. And Abraham is very, very content to wander into the place of scarcity. Why? Because he is learning that God's presence trumps place. That where God's presence dwells, abundant life flows. Generativity, uncontainable life breaks out. And even though it may appear like a place that is empty and 
unable to thrive, God is with me and that is enough. That's an incredible challenge to us. Question to us, how free are you to go where God calls you to go? How free, how liberated are you by the living Lord Jesus Christ and his goodness and his word to actually follow his call rather than the place that you could draw on a diagram in terms of life is going to unfold this way and I have certain expectations and if it lines up with that, I'll go. How free are you? How free am I? Or are we so caught up in appearances that we're missing the opportunity to live in a greater degree of abundance? This isn't about being a bad person or being knocked over the head. I'm aware that I'm preaching from a literally very great height. One day I'd quite like to preach from there. I'm just a bloke with a microphone. I don't have all the answers. I'm incredibly ordinary and broken, but I am offering this as a challenge to all of us. It's to say, there's an invitation into. Jesus leads us by his voice. He doesn't follow behind us and beat us with a stick. He invites us into green pastures, still waters where we can find rest for our souls. But how free are we How faith-filled are we to actually go where he's calling us to go? Because it looks like Canaan, and what I want is Eden. So, Father, I pray that you would make us a people of faith. I pray you'd make us like Abraham in this moment. Then when we're confronted with a place of abundance without your presence, or a place of scarcity with your presence, we will always pursue your presence because we are learning to trust that life flows from Jesus, life flows from God. I pray that as you do that, you'd liberate us to be a people that could truly follow your call instead of putting boundaries and parameters and expectations around it. Amen. Question that comes to us at this point is that's wonderful, Matt. We may not be thinking that. We're thinking, get on with it, mate. That's wonderful. How on earth, how on earth am I supposed to live like that? We're reading a text that's thousands of years old about an ancient patriarch, and yes, it's inspiring and it's beautiful, but have you seen how stressed my life is? Have you got any idea about the pressure that is on me as a modern person? Jobs or joblessness? Relationships that are thriving or relationships that are broken? Life's going the way I expected or it's completely falling apart? The idea that you're telling me to live by presence rather than place? The idea that you're, you're, you're asking me to throw my entire life, body, heart, and soul into the arms of Almighty God and just to trust. And when I say, Lord, where are we going? He says, to, as he did to Abraham, I'll tell you later, just go. How am I supposed to do this? I'll tell you later, just trust. That thing that you're promising in my life, that's impossible. I'll tell you later, just go. Matt, this is unrealistic. And the answer is, it is. It is completely unrealistic. What the Lord is placing on Abraham's life here and what the Lord places on our lives in terms of his living word and his presence is an impossible burden to carry apart from Jesus Christ who alone is the one where God's presence dwells and therefore if we're reading the text carefully and we're being sensitive to it we should both be being brought to a place of despair maybe too strong but just honesty The idea of living by God's presence is is too hard. And at the same time, humility to say, Jesus, would you help me? Because you've done it and you call me by name, therefore I can do it too, in you and only in you. God's presence leads us to Christ because 
Christ, by the way, not his surname. It's an appellation in the Old Testament designating son of Godship, son of David, Messiah, the one who is the Father's son from eternity to eternity. In other words, not a good human being who we just worship alongside all sorts of other great moral teachers. So I'm, I'm getting a bit frustrated. But Christ is not a surname. Christ is an appellation. It's a designation. It's a confession of faith. When we say Jesus the Christ, we are saying he is the living Lord. He is the son of God. And therefore he alone is able to save us in these moments. At the cross, Christ enters Canaan. Christ enters Canaan on your behalf at the cross so that you can inhabit a new Eden. In other words, you can inhabit heaven on earth. In other words, you can dwell in the place where all things are being remade. That's what it says in Colossians. All things are being remade through Christ's presence. He did that for you on the cross. At the cross, Christ empties himself of everything so that all of creation is now the seat of God's presence. In other words, the whole earth is now filled with the glory of God because Christ emptied himself at the cross. And at the cross, Christ obeys the Father's call to go to a land that the Lord will show him. Far away from his heavenly home, so that you and I never have to suffer the trauma of separation and death from God our Heavenly Father. God's presence in Jesus Christ becomes our new home. The degree to which you work this into your heart and I work this into my heart, to that degree, we will be changed. We will be remade in terms of people of faith and presence rather than primarily of place. A person who knows the abundant life of God's presence, even when it feels like you're inhabiting or passing through a far-off land, a person liberated to go anywhere, trusting in God's presence to guide, sustain, and bless. I'll land there. Amazing. Shall we pray? Let's pray. I need to pray. Can I invite you to stand, if that's okay? It'd be great. We're just going to invite God's spirit. Amazing. God's spirit is here. If I was a teacher, I might ask us all to loosen up now because it can feel quite heavy. So if that's you, feel free to... It's not supposed to be heavy and there's nothing magic. But God's spirit is here. He speaks through his word. Lord, I pray that... I've said a lot of words, whatever is of you and whatever has stirred people's hearts, would that land? Would it be living and active? And whatever isn't of you, I pray that would just fall away in this moment. So come Holy Spirit and minister to us now. Take what we've heard from our heads into our hearts. Change us and transform us. And we're going to do this um, as the band uh, plays some, Pete Portal once described it as Plinky Plonky, this is a phenomenal band, but as the band sort of just add a little bit of atmosphere, it's not magic again, it just helps. Um, I'm just going to invite you forward. If you, we, we are going after in this season, faith. We love community, but even more than community, we love the church. 